Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining us on the Bill Press Pod, and welcome to this week's Reporters Roundtable, looking back at the big news of the week, a week that kept us all very busy. And it's not over yet. On this Friday morning, we're once again on the brink of a government shutdown. And unless things change in the next 40 hours or so, we could be over the brink by Saturday night. But rather than find a way to keep the government running, House Republicans spent their time this week trying to impeach President Biden, which kind of backfired when the witnesses they called said there was no evidence meriting impeachment. Meanwhile, 26 Democratic senators so far have called on Bob Menendez to resign. Seven GOP presidential candidates spent two hours attacking each other. And Donald Trump said the nation's top generals should be executed for treason. (laughs) Other than that, it was a quiet week. Well, what's it all about? Let's ask our panel. Lynn Sweet, columnist and Washington bureau chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Hello, Lynn. Welcome back. Well, thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow at Media Matters for America. Hello, Matt. Hey, everybody. And Ginger Gibson, Senior Washington Editor for NBC News. Okay, before we get to the news of the day, um, a sad note to begin with. Um, We have just learned that Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, California Senior Senator, who's been suffering ill health for a couple of years, passed last night at the age of 90. Uh, I have to tell you um, my own personal reaction. Uh, I first met Dianne Feinstein in 1969, which dates us both, when she was running for office for the first time. Uh, She won that race, became chairman of the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco. So I knew her through that time when she was mayor, when she was elected senator, in 1992, uh, and she became a very close personal friend with dinner at our house several times, and uh, and Carol and I uh, many times with her and her husband, Dick Blum. Um, you know, it's sad that I think for the, in the short term, Diane Feinstein will be remembered as a woman who just didn't know when it was time to step down, but I think that'll soon pass. And in the long term, she will be remembered as she should be remembered as a great United States senator, a real fighter for the environment, for women's rights, uh, for gun safety. Remember, she was the uh, author of that assault weapons ban back in uh, 1994. Um, And I think she remembered as the not just a great senator, but the best senator that California ever had. Uh, Very sad ending to a great, great a career and a very effective member of the United States Senate. 
Ah, Bill Loss and, of course, Gavin Newsom now will appoint someone to hold her seat until the election for her successor, which will take place in November 2024. Uh, we have a lot of other news uh, to talk about with today's panel. Uh, and members of the panel, it seems to me that the story of this week can all be summed up in three the stories are three Republican-led events. One, an effort to keep the government running and open. Two, a big GOP debate, the second debate. And three, an impeachment hearing to impeach Joe Biden. How did all three of those go? Let's start with the shutdown. Lynn, we've been here before. It looks bad. Are we going over the cliff? Uh, for yeah, there's variations of the cliff. Think of it like steps down a terrace. We uh -huh. may go over the, the, the steps, but it, it today's Friday. We could have a shutdown that starts on a weekend. I think when is it? Midnight Sunday? Saturday. Uh, but it's Saturday. So technically, you might have a shutdown for a few days. But if you know that there is a deal that will come together, the impact is uh, is 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 nothing to minor. So, you know, but it will still be scored as a, as a shutdown. So I think, let me rephrase it, is, is, are we heading to a significant, long, horrible, bruising shutdown? My answer is maybe, Bill, maybe. And can I just jump in and say one more thing on Diane Please. Feinstein? Yes, yes. I remember covering her and meeting her when, for some reason, back in the day, I was in San Francisco covering her mayoral recall campaign. Wow. And yeah. yes, mm -hmm. I mean, I go back a bit, too. And I remember <laughs> that there were ironing boards all over the city where people were using to sign petitions. I mean, that was that was, I thought, what a real smart way of putting up a temporary desk where people standing behind ironing boards, handing out literature and this and that. And, and I think she you know, I was kind of nobody from a Chicago paper. And I think I got time to talk to her and. Uh, that's when I met her, but actually I remember her as a member of the Board of Supervisors uh, when I was a student at Berkeley. So right. uh, I do have long, long memories of her at, uh, at this time. Um, back to the shutdown, Ginger, I'm looking at the headline on CNN this morning. McCarthy doesn't have the votes to stop a shutdown. Uh, I guess Maybe the subhead, Ginger, should be unless he lets some Democrats vote with some Republicans, then he'd have enough votes, wouldn't he? Seems very unlikely. And, and Bill, you got to look at headlines on NBCNews.com. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. But, What's yours? <laughs> um, well, we'll be live blogging until the government is funded. So mm. there'll be uh, all the news. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that we're watching what has played out before. Um, they're not going to pass a bill with Democrats, um, because McCarthy would risk uh, losing his speakership, and he knows that. Um, and so he's not going to be willing to to cross that line at this point, at least. Um, and so you're right, they can't pass a bill with just Republicans means that the House can't pass a bill. Um, and, and so we wait. Um, it does not look good. Uh, if you're like me, and you have reservations for a national park to camp next weekend, start making backup plans. Because um, it is very obvious, we can see how they get into this. Um, but those of us here in Washington, this will be like my 
feels like my fifth shutdown. I don't know. I've called them, covered all of them since 2013. Um, I, I don't see yet how they get out of it. I, and I especially don't see how they get out of it without McCarthy moving um, and, and getting, getting either with Democrats or making concessions that will make the bill unpassable in the Senate. Uh, and Matt, yesterday the federal government started warning federal employees, non-essential workers, uh, that they're probably going to not get a paycheck uh, starting Saturday night and uh, they won't have to uh, come to work and should make other plans. Isn't the problem, Matt, that they're, it's not a matter of um, maybe what they would agree on, but there are some Republicans who really want to shut down the government. I think that's exactly right. I mean, when we... You mentioned three big stories, the looming shutdown, the uh, Republican debate, uh, and the impeachment hearings. I think what ties all three of them together is we have a Republican Party that's in hock to Donald Trump. And Donald Trump wants Joe Biden uh, impeached, and (laughs) he uh, wants all of these debates shut down, and he wants the government shut down until and unless Republicans strip uh, the Justice Department funding uh, that is uh, behind his prosecution. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty clear that Republicans are not willing to stand up to him in any real way. And as long as that's the case, uh, we're going to be uh, in big trouble as far as uh, funding the government. Republicans don't really seem to have uh, a unified thing that they are pushing for uh, in this spending fight. It's it's just kind of a, a shutdown about nothing when they're doing uh, because they uh they can basically, uh, and so uh, that that does not bode well for a a, a swift uh, recovery. Right. So the other show on the hill this week, yesterday, uh, sort of the sideshow to the shutdown debate, was the first hearing of the Biden impeachment inquiry led by James Comer, head of the Oversight Committee, and Jim Jordan, the chair of the uh, Judiciary Committee. Um, And they started out with um, their witness, their chief witness, a professor from George Washington University, professor of law, Jonathan Turley, who is also a contributor to Fox News. And uh, he summed up his reaction to what the committee wanted Uh, the American people to believe. In fact, I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. Uh, Lynn, why would they call him as their first witness? Because they didn't talk to him ahead of time? (laughs) Maybe. What? (laughs) Uh, So... They, they also, uh, I can't remember his name, the, the gentleman who was the forensic accountant said the same thing. So uh, so Chairman Comer, minus you for, here, here, we give him a plus for calling a witness who, who called balls and strikes. And for people who might have been wondering where Jonathan Turley was on the spectrum of throwing in with one side or another, he, he, uh, he, he, to his credit, uh, called it as he saw it right now. The other, so I know everyone is, is kind of taking it as great for the Dems, no evidence, the White House tweets his comment around, but I would say they're still developing evidence. So before you kind of score it as a win, wait and see. Here, here is one thing that is interesting. I listened to how James, Congressman Jamie Raskin, the ranking Democrat, talked about it. He is willing to to 
call Hunter Biden what he is, kind of the ne'er-do-well son. And not trying to cover up for Hunter Biden by the Democrats, I think is important here because Hunter Biden brought a lot of this on his father with his inexplicable, uh, uh, bad judgments, terrible behavior, and, um, you know, and, and trying to, from his drug addiction to trying to live, you know, live off his father's uh, reputation. Right. But this is not a hearing to impeach Hunter Biden uh, or convict Hunter Biden. This is a hearing to impeach the president of the United States for bribery and corruption. You mentioned uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin. Um, So, Ginger, here is uh, uh, Raskin pointing out again, uh, where's where's the beef? The committee has received 12,000 pages of bank record. And not a single page shows a dime going to President Joe Biden. If the Republicans had a smoking gun or even a dripping water pistol, they would be presenting it today, but they've got nothing on Joe Biden. Yeah, Ginger, uh, this, this is pretty embarrassing even, no? This hearing was a mess yesterday. I, I, I watched the whole thing and I'll tell you like, they just, it, first off you, you think back to last year and watching the January 6th hearings. Yeah. What a contrast. Were, yeah. What a contrast, right? Well-organized, scripted, planned, and look, they're not the same thing. There was no minority in the January 6th committee hearings. There was no one to do what Raskin did yesterday and object and make motions and gum things up and slow things down. But there was no cohesiveness um, in the hearing we saw yesterday. They're, they didn't know what Turley was going to say. Uh, they didn't know what the other witnesses were going to say. They brought in this forensic accountant and barely asked him any questions. It wasn't really clear to me that he had seen any of the bank records that they were talking about in this hearing. And so it was all over the place. It was very incohesive. And they lacked this this cohesive message. And look, like, if they're going to make any argument at all, it's going to be very complicated. Um, and they did not demonstrate an ability to explain anything complicated. Um, and I think these stories all tie together. Um, the government's probably going to shut down on Sunday. It would have been maybe politically untenable to do this next week in the middle of a shutdown. So they rushed it. Um, and what it was left with was just an incoherent, confusing win for Joe Biden, maybe? <laughs> it was not good. Uh, Matt, my question to you is, uh, well, first, I want, I want to play one other clip, which is, um, again, the committee calls their witnesses. When I f- first went to work, my first political job in the California state legislature, one of the things I learned watching these legislators was you never called a committee hearing unless you knew you had the votes to pass. You, you wouldn't bring something up in a committee unless you knew you had the votes. And you certainly knew what every witness you called was going to say before they testified. Um, that didn't happen yesterday, Matt. Here, here is um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Here she is yesterday. Uh, just summing it up, witness by witness. And any serious impeachment investigation or inquiry relies on firsthand sworn testimony of witnesses to high crimes or misdemeanors. Mr. Turley, in your testimony today, are you presenting 
any firsthand witness account of crimes committed by the President of the United States? No, I'm not. Ms. O'Connor, have you, in your testimony, presented any firsthand witness account of crimes committed by, pre by the President of the United States? I have not. Now, Mr. Dubinsky, have you, in your testimony, presented any firsthand witness account of crimes committed by the President of the United States? Uh, I have not. So, Matt, my question to you from Media Matters is, how should the media cover this hearing? As two sides of a hearing or just a sham, basically? Well, I think the problem that we're running into right now is that this is a, a story that only makes sense if you have a PhD in Sean Hannity studies. Uh, the reason uh, all of it sounds so complicated and uh, sort of incomprehensible uh, to a, a normal person uh, is that uh, this is kind of the the result of several years of Fox News conspiracy theories uh, playing out uh, in a hearing room in which there can be actual uh, questions that are asked that uh, debunk some of those claims. Uh, and so, you know, when this stuff uh, is touched by reality, it crumbles to dust. Um so, I mean, I think that explains why uh, the hearings are going to be kind of a bust, or at least the first one was. As for how the mainstream press should cover it, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that they're uh, failing to prove their underlying claim that there is anything connected to Joe Biden uh, in what they've uncovered. And so that should really be uh, the, the the lead of the story should be in the, in your headlines. And, and you know, I, I think that... Uh, yesterday was such a debacle uh, with uh, Republican aides rushing to journalists to tell them that uh, it has been a total disaster, uh, that at least some of the coverage, I, I think, has reflected that, uh, which is to, to the credit, I think, of the journalists. Yeah. In fact, I saw somebody, some, some, some headline called it a belly flop yesterday. Well, that's two out of three uh, of the Republican sideshows this week. Uh, we didn't get to the GOP debate yet. Let's take a quick break and then come back and look at what we saw on the stage in Simi Valley, California, Wednesday night with the seven Republican candidates without Donald Trump. And today's roundtable is here on the Bill Press Pod is brought to you by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. We salute the members of the Teamsters Union, the largest and the most diverse of all of America's labor unions, uh, representing every segment of the, of the American workforce, from vegetable workers in California to construction workers in Las Vegas, brewery workers in St. Louis and bakery workers in Maine. They represent, as they say, everybody from A to Z, from airline pilots to zookeepers, over 3 million members strong. The Teamsters Union, thank you for your great work uh, serving us Americans, and thank you for your longtime support of the Bill Press Pod. We're back with today's roundtable, a great panel with Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow from Media Matters for America, Ginger Gibson, Senior Washington Editor for NBC News, and Lynn Sweet, Columnist and Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Well, they lined up, Ginger, the seven also rans without Donald Trump. Um, <laughs> two hours, a lot of that time spent talking over each other and attacking each other or attacking Donald Trump. 
Uh, anything gained by this big show in in California? Ginger? Yeah, I don't think we're gonna. I don't think we're gonna look at this debate and say that was the moment that really made someone. <laughs> um, there was there was no sort of flashpoint excitement. No one really gained a lot of ground. I also don't think we're gonna look at it and say that was the moment that broke anyone. Um, there was none of that either. Um, but it was the continuation that we saw of the first debate. Um, these candidates trying to figure out how they exist in a world with Donald Trump. Um, and I think that may be the, the existential crisis facing the Republican Party um, overall. That may be the theme of the last six years and of the next several. Um, but they really just can't figure out, do they attack each other? Do they attack Trump? Do they embrace Trump? Um, and it seems that they landed on, we're going to attack Trump um, this time. But um, not the sort of full-throated attacks we saw from Christie. Um, and, and a real sort of question about how they can get ahead of each other to be in second place. Because at this point, it doesn't look like any of them are going to be able to, to oust him from that front runner position. Right. Uh, and Matt, I noticed that one of the reactions from uh, conservatives is attacking Fox for including Univision and the anchor Ilya Calderon, whom they said, ask unfair and tough questions. <laughs> so they're blaming her for the fact that it didn't go better. You know, I, I'm going to be honest here. I did not watch this debate. Uh, it, it seems like it's pretty obvious that no one on that stage is going to be president. No one on that stage is going to be vice president. Uh, it's kind of, uh, you know, a, a effort, I guess, to drum up ad sales for Fox at this point. I, I don't really know what the point of any of this is, um, but Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee unless he dies uh, between now and the convention. And even then, there's a decent chance they just keep him on the ticket anyway. Um, uh, it, it's, yeah, I think we we can all spend a lot of time writing stories about all the rest of these candidates, but they're, they're not going to be the nominee. It's kind of pointless. Right. Um, maybe the best moment, Lynn, that I thought that came out of the, uh, the best line, if you will, that came out of the debate, um, did not, well, it came from one candidate on the stage, but it came in the version of a, an ad put out immediately after the debate by the Biden campaign. Here it is. And you know who else is missing in action? Donald Trump is missing in action. He should be on this stage tonight. He owes it to you to defend his record where they added 7.8 trillion to the debt. That set the stage for the inflation that we have now. I'm Joe Biden and I approve this message. <laughs> Pretty clever on their part, Lynn. Huh? Yes. Nothing like good political wit and nothing like letting your rivals make the case for you. <laughs> for you. And that 7 trillion figure was also mentioned. It might have been, I think, maybe Nikki Haley. It, it came up a few times, but nothing packaged it so sweetly and with a bow on it in the way Florida Governor DeSantis did. And he not only talked, I mean, he did both things. He talked about driving up the, the debt, which is a very, you know, sore spot for a lot of Republicans, and he tied it to inflation. What a gift. Yeah, indeed. Um, let's go back to the Congress for just a second, uh, Ginger. Um, 
Bob Menendez, it was right after last Friday's roundtable uh, that the announcement came from the federal prosecutors uh, charging uh, Bob Menendez with bribery and corruption. Uh, since then, as of today, my last count is you may have a more up-to-date account that 26 of his fellow Democratic senators have said he should resign. John Fetterman has actually said he's ready to vote to expel him. Um is he going to is he going to last until trial as a member of the Senate? What you I'd read? be surprised. Hmm? I'd be surprised if he lasts till trial. I mean, the the details of that indictment were just damning. Um, they looked uh, and sound really terrible. Um, and we did see this um, large number of Democrats come out to say he should resign. Every one of them that's up uh, for election and cycle this time has said they think he should. Resigned, so there was a pretty robust and and expelling him is a realistic thing. The Senate has expelled members before that has happened. Um, sometimes expelling will make it clear to him that he doesn't have any friends left and he should probably go. Um, I, I think from what we heard um, that his remarks at their lunch yesterday did not give him um, much confidence that he has much support or that he was able to change anyone's mind. Um, I think he thought he could convince everyone that, you know, there was, it's not as bad as it looks, but I don't think that worked. Um, and I think the really telling de there, detail there too, is that Schumer had every member of the ethics committee leave the room um, that he, he thought that that would be um a conflict for them to hear his remarks. And so uh, there's real signs that this is, this is not, he is not one who is long for the Senate. Um, New Jersey, a state that I covered, a state that has a long history of, of, of corruption and scandal. Um, I, I it just, I, the voters um, are unlikely to take kindly to it. And I think the party knows that um, even with that history in New Jersey and that tolerance. So I would be surprised um, if he, if they don't really turn the screws on him to, to leave uh, here in short order. Uh, you know, Matt, uh, we've seen a lot of examples of corruption in the time we've been in Washington and covering Washington, but this, this really, <laughs> this takes the prize, doesn't it? I mean, just the pictures of all the cash in his Senate jacket hanging in his closet. I think so. And, you know, th those those pictures are uh, pretty impressive. But I think what's really damning about the indictment is the suggestion that he basically became a tool of an Egyptian intelligence operation. That is uh, very, very bad. Like that, That's way beyond the sort of corruption stage. I'd be surprised if the uh, the gang of eight in the, in the House and Senate were not getting like briefed on what the intelligence implications of this are, um, just because that uh, in particular was incredibly damning. Uh, now, as for whether he will resign, I mean, I, I think that that is um, you know something that he can offer in a plea deal, and so I think he's unlikely to just kind of give it away. Um, he could certainly lose in a primary. The polling out of New Jersey from uh, PPP, yes, uh, the other day um, was something like 7% approval or something like that. Um, so I, I think he's going to face a real challenge from uh, Representative Andy Kim or, or possibly uh, Governor Murphy's wife um, and that the entire Democratic Party will get around uh, whoever that candidate uh, may be. Um, What's been interesting I, uh, from my perspective is how 
uh, right-wing media are effectively pro-corruption at this point and are rallying around uh, Menendez on the grounds that if he is being pursued by the Biden DOJ, then it's probably some sort of political prosecution for something that he has done. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I would that that makes me think that expulsion is unlikely because I think Republican senators will end up rallying to his cause. Uh, you need, I, I believe, a two thirds majority, uh, which means substantial Republican support uh, to kick him out of the Senate. And I don't know that the votes would be there for that. Well, Lynn, I, I was going to ask you that question. I mean, so Republicans have been saying, accusing uh, Merrick Garland, right, of just being basically the House attorney for the White House and doing anything that to help he can to help Joe Biden. But here, the, the, the Justice Department has indicted Hunter Biden and now Bob Menendez. Does that kind of take some wind out of the sails of the attacks against Merrick Garland or not? Well, it would if, if we were living in a, a test tube, because that's <laughs> rational. Yeah. And so we have two real-time examples of uh, big names being indicted by a Justice Department. Democrats. Yes, by Democratic-led yeah. uh, Justice Department. So whether or not, to me, that seems like a nice point to kind of even the scales of justice here, but it might not matter. One other thought on the question of Menendez stepping down. Again, I think this might be a tiered process where he sees how mm. it goes. I would think the thing he could give up that won't cost him anything is to see if it takes heat off of him internally in the chamber with his fellow Democrats is to announce that he will not seek reelection. So that would be to me, step one and then see what happens and then say, I'm just here until another year. Now let me, let me serve my time. Uh, I don't think that will blunt the criticism, but it would be harder. You know, so, so two different strategies. Ex-President Trump thinks it helps his legal cases to be running for president, why he's accused of all this uh, very serious stuff, because he's saying it's election interference. Uh, Menendez, if he decided to run again, according to what we just discussed, he highly, un highly unlikely he could win a primary. So, you know, give up something that is not all that meaningful at this point. See what happens and then see what goes on. Uh, there might be just other documentation filed that, you know, there could be more evidence. These investigations are always ongoing, and uh, somebody may actually get the real story on why and how and who gave him these gold bars. Okay. Lynn, we're going to remember you for the person who says everything's not necessarily a straight line. It can be tiered, right? Steps into, into whatever happens. All right. Ginger, uh, switch into an entirely different topic that maybe didn't get as much attention as it should have this week. But today, President Biden will be going over to the Pentagon to participate in a ceremony um, on the, at the occasion of the retirement of uh, General Milley as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, Milley got a diff slightly different uh, uh, reaction, if you will, from the former president uh, this week. Uh, and General Milley appeared on CBS News in his first interview to talk about this with Nora O'Donnell. Here's how that started. 
President Trump recently said that your dealings with China were so egregious that in times gone by, the punishment would have been death. That's right. He said that. Mm-hmm. That's correct. It almost seems odd to ask this question because the former commander in chief seems to be calling for your execution. Are you worried about your safety? I've got adequate safety precautions. I, I wish those comments had not been made, but they were, and we'll take appropriate measures to ensure my safety and the safety of my family. So, Ginger, you know, sometimes we have to, we can't believe things that we're reporting on, right? But this is a former president accusing America's top general of treason. Whoa. It is, it is really mind-boggling to consider um, what he said. Um, I think Millie will have a real role, a real spot, I think, in history, given um, how he interacted with and was rather public at times um, about the Trump administration. Um, I mean, even just think about how sometimes he's a bit of a minor character in some of these things, but still a character that, that when we found out about Trump's classified documents um, and there was this recording that he had shown these documents to um, a writer and, and her editor, um, it was because he was trying to prove Millie wrong um, that he was like, Millie was wrong. And look, I have proof that he's wrong. Um, and so I, I do think that he occupies a lot of space in Trump's mind um, and maybe, maybe not rent free, but um, I think that Trump has, uh, you know, if we're going to play armchair psychologist, he really did view the me- the military and the strength and the commander role as like, really important to his image. And um, I think the fact that he did not have um, Millie as sort of a, a go along and yes, sir, and you're right, sir. And he really fought him, I think really bothered Trump. Um, and he came to really um, see him as part of his problem. Um, and I think that that's part of what fueled those remarks. And um, it is terrifying to think about. Um, and and I hope he would have taken the measures he says he has. The man is a military general, so I know some things about security. Um, but it is it is a troubling moment to consider in what is a real saga of his role uh, the last several years. Yeah, and I want to go out of order here just a little bit, Matt, and come to you next. But first, go back to Lynn for just a second. Lynn, just, just for the record, right, what Trump was talking about is after January 6th, general, and there was a lot of questions about the stability of the government after the United States Capitol was so publicly attacked and every member of Congress had to run for their lives. Uh, and so General Milley picked up the phone, called his counterpart in China and just said, I'm going to reassure you, we're in good shape right? We're still in good shape. The United States is strong. We're not, we're not, this government is not toppling. Uh, I, I think that was a, an important call to make, right? It's not grounds for execution. Hardly. That, yeah. See, that, that's the, the point here. So you could, perha- it sounds reasonable to me sitting here, you know, months later, uh, but that's, so again, maybe I'm just having another place where I'm coming from on this, it is it a debate. Even if people want to debate whether that call was proper, it is a, it is a five miles over the limit, maybe ten. There's a big difference between that and calling for mm. somebody to be killed. That is where I don't understand where people don't see the 
the impact here. Trump is not, because of his followers hanging on every word, it's hard to argue at this stage that, of course, he's talking in a metaphor. Remember back in 2016, we were told we hear these words differently than his followers because we're being literal and the others just get, who are his Trump followers, get the gist. But when you're a former president calling for someone's execution, I don't think you get the allowance that he's just showing how angry he is. So uh, that is that is the disconnect that we are continually exploring now as Trump remains the front runner for the nomination of the Republicans. Which tees up the question I had for you, Matt, perfectly. Thank you, Lynn, which is, why wasn't this a headline on every news, front page of every newsletter in the United States the next day? And I must tell you, as somebody who follows this day in and day out, that's my job, that's your job, I didn't even know Trump had said this until our producer, Jay Feldman, called me and said, whoa, did you see what Trump just said? You know, why, why wasn't a bigger deal made of the former president calling for the execution of the head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? I don't know, and it's really unnerving. I mean, our our post on this on Monday was headlined, Donald Trump suggested General Mark Milley deserves to be executed. TV news barely covered it. CBS, NBC, uh, ABC uh, did nothing on it through that weekend. Uh, you know, I don't know what the purpose is of the Sunday morning political talk shows if they don't talk about the uh, former president and likely frontrunner for the Republican nomination, uh, you know, threatening uh, a, a a general with treason and, and suggesting he should be put to death. Uh, that said, it wasn't even the only treason accusation he made that weekend. I don't know if you caught this one, but on Sunday, he posted that uh, Comcast, with its one-side and vicious coverage by NBC News and MSNBC, should be investigated for its country-threatening treason, goes on to ask, why should NBC or any of the corrupt and dishonest media companies be entitled to use the very valuable airwaves of the USA free? So this is a combination of both accusing uh, these companies of treason, uh, of threatening the parent company, uh, and of suggesting that he would, as president, uh, you know, engage in retribution against those companies uh, for publishing news that displeases him. So, I mean, I don't know. The the next uh, Republican presidential nominee is going to be a full throated authoritarian making the case for, uh, you know. Uh, political prosecutions on a mammoth scale uh, and of the use of government power against news outlets. And if the news outlets can't uh, rise to their own defense, uh, we're all going to be in quite a lot of trouble. So Ginger, sounds like Donald Trump's coming right after you. Uh, we at NBC News make our editorial decisions based on whether or not we think things are news and not Donald Trump. And I can tell you that he can say whatever he wants, but we're still going to cover the news. So, is uh, is there concern at NBC about his comments? I I think we have all grown quite immune to those types of comments, right? He says those types of things all the time. Um, I I don't even know what it was that triggered that particular <laughs> outrage at this point because yeah. lose track. Um, I will say so, that. Uh, yeah. 
while I, I appreciate that NBC News and these, these other media outlets are going to continue to, to, to try to do a good job, from my perspective, the nerve-wracking thing is the attacks on Comcast or Time Warner or Disney, because I don't think that those uh, the parent companies necessarily have as much of a dedication to doing good work. And if they try to uh, or are forced to sell off uh, these news outlets, that's going to be uh, a big problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that, we will uh, see how that all rolls down. But it is, as uh, to use Matt's word, very uh, unnerving to see those comments made by a former president. And thank you to uh, today's panel. Great job uh, making some sense uh, to the extent that any of us can about the events of this week. Uh, but before we let you go, Lynn Sweet from Chicago Sun-Times, Ginger Gibson from NBC News, and Matt Gertz from Media Matters for America, uh, we'd love to wrap up by asking you, what was the one story in all of the things that you were covering or not covering or just noticing uh, this week that really caught your attention and stopped you in your tracks? Uh, Lynn, would you please start us off? I've been covering... Ohio Republican Senator J.D. Vance's holds on four U.S. attorneys, and I've been uh, surprised, as was others, when on the Senate floor, he finally agreed to release his holds. He put them on to protest the Justice Department uh, pursuing uh, Trump. You know, you can't Mm. negotiate over that. So finally, he said, I'll release my hold. On two of the four, he revealed that other senator or senators had holds on two others, including one from his home state from Ohio and one from Illinois. So we have a mystery now on who and what is holding up these things. A very interesting example of the power and the use or misuse of Senate holds. Don't we have to know who's putting a hold no. on? If it, the reason we know when people do it is that they out themselves. Vance did, and in the more public case, uh, Sen- uh, Senator Republican Senator uh, Tuberville of Alabama, who has more than three, mm-hmm. he has a blanket hold on some three hundred military right. uh, promotions, but right. he's, he he mm. outed himself. Right, I didn't realize that. Uh, Ginger, your favorite story of the week. So I am all shut down all the time, it feels like, um, <laughs> except when there's impeachment hearings and senators pass away and all the other things going on. But um, as we approach the shutdown, as it seems likely to happen um, this weekend, uh, two pieces I will draw your attention to that I thought were really well done by folks on our team. One by Sahil Kapoor, looking at how shutdowns, if you look back and you're like, well, the 2018-19 shutdown, the 2013 shutdown didn't really have political fallout for anyone. Like the, There wasn't what decided control of the House or of mm-hmm. Congress. But it did actually um, cause some problems for Republicans in Virginia. Um, and that's because it's a state with a lot of federal workers. Of course, yeah. The, ec- the economic benefits, the uh, impacts are felt a lot mm-hmm. more. Um, and there is some realization. And so uh, Sahil Kapoor is a great story setting that up. Um, and I would watch that as we as we head into the shutdown. What Glenn Youngkin is trying to do ahead mm-hmm. of an election in, in Virginia. And the second is a piece by Alex Seitzwald looking at some of the things that were affected the last time to predict what will be affected this time. And the one that is great, this um, sort of long piece about all these examples was not great, but interesting um, was that last time 
they couldn't get the permits to export alcohol out of the country. And so some of it got stuck in a port um, and went bad. Ooh, um, ooh. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and finally, if you are a Washington, D.C. resident or getting married in the District of Columbia um, in the next few weeks, you cannot get a marriage license while the government is shut down. So go do that today um, <laughs> on Friday before it closes. Boy, the shutdown hitting home, right? In a big way. Right? Indeed. I saw that story about uh, Northern Virginia, and I thought that was very perceptive because so many federal employees live right across the river, right? And uh, the uh, economy of Northern Virginia, a uh, huge impact if there is a shutdown. Uh, and Matt Gertz, what caught your attention this week? Well, regular listeners of the Bill Press Pod know that I always use this opportunity to talk about my favorite media conspiracy theory, uh, which is that the real estate sections of the New York Times and Wall Street Journal <laughs> right. yes. have been infiltrated uh, by Democratic Socialists of America and are using uh, the papers to bring about the revolution. Uh, to wit, I give you a story from yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. These big budget playrooms will make you wish you were a kid again. Homeowners are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on luxury spaces that include rock climbing walls, ball <laughs> pits, and tree houses. Uh, there's some really phenomenal uh, photography of some of these uh, some of these playrooms. Uh, they really look like a lot of fun, but also like uh, tax rates should be significantly higher for upper income uh, earners. Uh, so, uh, you know, for that, uh, to, uh, Sarah Painter of the wall street journal, uh, the, uh, the left appreciates your undercover efforts and we salute you. <laughs> there you go. And we salute you for bringing that to the uh, bill press pod and keeping true to your tradition there of, of, uh, your conspiracy theory, Matt. Well, I, I gotta say, I've been taken this week by, and I'm not a sports fan, but I've just been blown away to see that the best thing that ever happened to the NFL in the history of the NFL is Taylor Swift. Unbelievable. Of course, we know she's dating the tight end for the Kansas Chiefs, Travis Kelsey. Uh, she showed up last week to the uh, uh, to see the Chiefs slaughter the Chicago Bears, 41 ouch, to 10. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Uh, I know. There she is, Lynn. She's in the family suite, and since then, it was a high... Word got around that she was in the crowd. It was the highest rated TV ratings for any NFL game of, of the week. Kelsey's Instagram followers immediately went from 325,000 to over 3 million. Jersey sales for Kelsey went up 400%. It just goes on and on. And now, Sunday, in two days, she's uh, it's already been revealed she's going to attend the Chiefs game at uh, the MedLife Stadium against the New York Jets, and the prices for ticket sales at that game are now up 40%. It's like <laughs> nothing, sh nobody has ever brought that kind of attention and success to the uh, NFL as Taylor Swift. So if Taylor Swift did an also did an Instagram for this organization called Vote.org, which encourages young people to get out and register to vote, and voter registrations after that Taylor Swift Instagram went up 1,200%. So I just have to say there's nobody that has a better, bigger impact in almost any line of endeavor in the United States today than Taylor Swift. And if I were Joe Biden, I would be out 
doing anything I could to get Taylor Swift's endorsement for 2024, and the campaign would be all over. Okay, with that, a great big thank you again to today's panel. Matt Gertz, Senior Fellow for Media Matters for America. Ginger Gibson, Senior Washington Editor for NBC News. And Lynn Sweet, Columnist and Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Thank you, members of the panel. Thank you, all good friends, for listening today. Have a great weekend. Let's hope that somehow they work it out and the government doesn't shut down. But whether it's shut down or not, we will be back next Tuesday with the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. And we'll see you then. Have a good one. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.